0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I want to touch on the subject of stewarding the divine. Stewarding the divine. Stewardship is... Uh, is necessary if you are going to honor or value something. Your honor and your value for something is not determined by what you say. It's determined by what you do with it. It's determined by how you steward it. Stewardship is not ownership, it's management, okay? So how you manage the affairs, how you take care of the priority you give it, uh, ultimately determines the value, uh, that something has in your life. And there's a lot of things that we might say we value, but if someone were to watch us through life for a few days, let's give it a a full five day week. Would we value our marriage as much as we say or think we value? it? Would we value our, our family time as much as we say we think, uh, or, or as much as we say that we value it. Um, value is typically something that is thought of and spoken about differently than applied. So it, it, let's, let's put it this way. You might say on a scale of one to 10, you value it at an eight, but it's displayed at a six. And many times we come in under what we say we value something. And what's dangerous is if we have a misalignment, if we are are manipulated in what we think we value, and what we say we value, and what we actually value, what our lives actually demonstrate, then we end up in a realm called hypocrisy. That's what a hypocrite is, is when my heart and my mouth are out of alignment. That's what that is. You say one thing. I don't call you a hypocrite if you uh, curse God and accuse God and then you live like the devil. That's not a hypocrite. It's one that says they're at one level, but lives or demonstrates at a different level. And Jesus obviously dealt with this, you know, in his day. Very strong words uh, that he gives in Matthew chapter 7, not even part of my message tonight, but I just reference it, Matthew chapter seven, it's around verse 20, 21, somewhere in there. He says, there will be those that will say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we prophesy? And he's going to have a very interesting response to that. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. There is a massive discrepancy between what they thought they were doing and what they thought they were working toward versus, in essence, he's saying, you've actually postured yourself in opposition to me. Not, Not just out of alignment, but in full on disagreement and discord and division. You've actually been working against me. Depart from me. I never knew you. We didn't have the relationship you thought we had. You'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And So if we're not careful, we'll judge our values on the wrong things. We'll judge what we think we value on the wrong things. And so when it comes to the divine, when we're talking about hearing with clarity, uh, having an abundance of revelation, right? We continue to drive this home in in 2023. That's just where the, the Lord has directed us. Uh, uh, for this year, that this is a year of abundant revelation, that we're going to hear the voice of the Lord. But its it, I've, I've learned this about really anything in life, but especially when it comes to the word. It's not what you hear, but it's how you hear it. It's not just what you hear. I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 13. Eventually, I'll get to the actual verses that are in my message, but I just I give you all the appetizer stuff right now. In Matthew chapter 13, right, we've got the uh, parable of the sower, four different accounts of seed sown. And it says in all four instances, when they heard, when they heard, when they heard, and when they heard. Seed sown uh, on the wayside was when they heard but it didn't take root. The, the one that got choked out was when they heard, but they easily got distracted by cares of the world. Uh, the one, uh, that, that got burnt up by the sun was the one that, uh, heard the word, but didn't have enough root. And so when the trials of life came, it got them off course. And then of course, the fourth one is the seed that ended up bearing good fruit, Heard the word and applied the word, valued the word, honored the word. In fact, uh, actually, it's kind of funny you even mentioned that Mark chapter four is the other account of the parable of the sower. And I've actually taken to you, I've taken you there, but this is him explaining the parable of the sower in verse 24. This is what he says. <clears throat> and he said to them, pay attention. Everyone say, pay attention, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. So notice right offhand, he is trying to help us recognize, Jesus is trying to help us recognize that there's a response necessary to the word. You've heard us say it before. What you do with the word determines what the word will do for you. Now, I can know all day long that the word is power, that the word is life, that the word can grow me up, the word can develop me. Jesus says in John 15, the word can prune me, it can clean me, it can eliminate things. The Bible tells us if the word is a mirror. It will literally show us who we are. The word reveals Jesus. The word reveals the father. The word reveals the purpose. The, the word is all, we know that it is all powerful. There is nothing missing in the word. There's nothing diminished or deficient in the word. There's nothing that this word will fall short of in your life, but how it bears results in our lives is determined by what we do with it, is determined by how we value it, how we honor it, how we steward it. And so the last thing that we need is revelation coming in abundance. Clarity upon clarity. And we don't value in honor and place upon the word a demand for it to work in our lives. And this is what happens is we end up in this realm called familiarity. Familiarity is is dangerous. And I want to help us understand why. Many of us sitting in churches, sitting in pews, Matthew chapter 13, I want to remind you, all four of those people went to church. All four of those people sat in services like you're sitting. All four of those instances, they could have easily been in the same exact service. And you've got one that's fallen on the wayside. They're distracted from the moment they came in. There's another that they receive it with joy, but they get out there and the trials and the, and the troubles of life come and the pressures of life come against them and they fall away. Others live by the word until uh, deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures of life show up and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to float that way. And then there's going to be those that are just going to honor the word and they're going to value the word and they're going to place a demand on the word to work and they're not going to allow the distractions and the trials and the pleasures of life to catch them off guard. They receive the word, they hear the word with joy, they they have that excitement and when they get out there, it's just as real to them out there as it is in here. And it's, it's, it's a simple system of value it's an honor system. It's an honor system. I mentioned on um, Sunday, my wife and I, we were out at, at, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, with Rama at their winter Bible seminar. That's the Bible school I graduated from. And, and, and I mentioned a little bit of the legacy that they have instilled in the earth through Kenneth E. Hagen. Who's gone on to be with the Lord and and now through that ministry, what they're doing, but but one thing that was uh, a, a common response for Brother Hagan, as we call him, Kenneth E. Hagan. People would ask him, what do we do in this scenario? what is what about this? and what about that? Even different moves of the spirit and even different things that were happening in church circles. and he would always give this, I mean you 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 knew what was going to come. His response was always, what does the word say? What does the word say? What does the word, I mean, he, he's, he, he went through it, man, went through the healing revivals, went through the charismatic renewals, the, the Jesus revolution, the movies out right now talking about that. Then the, the, the word of faith movement and the teaching movements and, and all the different things that showed up in the, the dispensations and the different, uh, you know, methods and emphasis of ministry, which none were wrong in and of themselves. But at the end of the day, he would always say, what does the word Say, show me in the word. There's an account he gives. uh, He he saw Jesus personally in front of him on five different occasions. And there was one account uh, where Jesus was uh, talking to him. I think it was uh, the believer's authority. He was talking to him about the authority of the believer. And Jesus was saying, I can't do anything unless you do it unless you say it, your words mobilize me in one sense. And his response was to Jesus. Jesus is standing in front of him. His response to Jesus was, you're going to have to show me in the word. Your word tells me by two or three witnesses, let everything be confirmed. I need three. And Jesus said, I'll do you one better. I'll give you four. Why? Because the man valued the word of God. Value building, not just his ministry, not just his legacy, but his life on what does the word say? Honoring the word of God. And and we've seen, uh, you know, over the years, many ministers get off. He saw them. He confronted many of them. There was a, in the, in the healing revivals in the fifties and the sixties, there's a certain individual that began to notice that crowds are coming to see the miracles and the laying on of hands and people instantly healed in these tent revivals, tent meetings. They weren't even in buildings with AC. They're out in the middle of nowhere in underneath a tent. Oral Roberts was part of that and A.A. And Allen and, and, and a lot of those folks. And there was one individual that began to recognize that there was a performance behind it and made a statement. If, if, if we hold a service and no one's healed, they won't come back. I've got to give them what they're coming to to see. And he told him, he's, he told him point blank. If, if the, the move of the spirit isn't moving to heal people that night, teach the word, do not try to force it. Do not try to fake it. Do not try to make it up. Do not try to move on your own to entertain and perform, go back to the word, always come back to the word. And that individual, unfortunately, didn't heed his advice, was moved by the crowds and moved by the people. In the late 90s, early 2000s, the prosperity message was getting out of control. We saw a lot of uh, televangelists and uh, different ministers if you write into our ministry, if you send us this amount of money, you'll receive your miracle. We'll give you a prophecy. We'll give you a prophetic word. They do all these different things. And so uh, Brother Haken wrote a book, the only book he wrote, by the way. He, there's a bunch of books that have his name on them, but he didn't sit down and author those books. They were his messages put in print form. But one book he sat down and wrote is called The Midas Touch. It's the only book he wrote. It's the only one he wrote on, 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 on finances. And he brought in, um, I've heard anywhere up to 20 or so of these televangelists, brought them in. I don't know exactly which ones, but I've been told you would know them if we, t- if we listed their names. This is about two, three years before he goes on to be with the Lord. We're talking 99, 2000. He passed away in 2003, 20 years ago. And he admonished them. Get back to the word regarding finances. Get back to what the word says. Get back to the principles of tithing and giving, but honor the word. Well, many of them didn't heed his warnings, words of caution of the road ahead. No, it's important that we have a value for the word of God because when the divine things come, when the miracles start happening, even when the revelation comes, if we don't have the proper value system in place, if we don't have the proper honor system, if we don't have the proper management and stewardship principles in our life of what do we do with the word when we get it, then we're not going to build on the right foundation, it's going to become a house of cards, guys. And it'll just be another move that blows in, blows up, and blows out. Nothing solid. And Brother Hagen, and Kenneth e. Hagen, he did ministry literally up to his. I mean, he had meetings planned when he passed away. One of the most solid ministries. Not up and down and trying to keep up with the Joneses and doing this and doing it. Why am I telling you this? Because it was an, an individual that valued the word and the ministry still to this day. What does the word say? What does the word say? And how do we put the word into practice? He says, pay attention to what you hear. Verse 25 goes on to say, For whoever has more will be given to him, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. This is what the Amplified says in verse 24. And he said to them, Be careful, everyone say, Be careful. So we've got some words here, pay attention, be careful what you are hearing, the measure of thought and study you give. What's that? That's my response to the word. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. For to him who has, more will be given. And from him who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away by force. We've got a simple example of this in Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six. It's a very, on the surface, confusing element. I want us to learn how to give the word its proper place in our lives. I want us to learn how to steward the word of God so that we can see its results in our lives. You know, ultimately what the enemy is after, according to Matthew chapter 13, is the word. That's what he's after. He does not want you to get the word. He does not want you to hear the word. He does not want you to comprehend the word. He does not. I mean, what we're what we're believing for and ministering and and covering this year on abundant clarity, revelation, being led by the spirit. This is the very thing he does not want you to get, (laughs) because if you get this, it unlocks the key to everything else, because the word literally holds every treasure necessary for your productive and fulfilled life in the kingdom of God. The word has every key. The word of God does. He would love nothing more than for us to build our foundation on experience, to build our our experience or to build our foundation on hype or emotion or what the trendy thing is at the time. He would love, he loves when we follow all the ebbs and flows. He loves someone. But at the end of the day, what are we building our house on? We're building our house on the beach rather than the rock, on the sand rather than the solid word of God. It's immovable. It's unshakable. Moves of God We thank God for the demonstrations. We thank God for the the exposure to things. We thank God for the revivals that are taking place. We thank God for the outpourings and the overflows. But this is what happened is the enemy wants us to use what is happening in one location as a template. And if we do everything just like they did, we can recreate that here. And that's exactly what the enemy wants because now we're not following the word and we're not following God. We're following a movement. We're trying to recreate in our own ability. And let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit knows how to, knows how to move. He knows how to pour his spirit out on all flesh. He knows what he's doing if we just follow the Holy Spirit. So in in all these things, we thank God for them. I mean, it's literally hitting a demographic in our nation that was beginning to become a lost cause. That the universities and colleges were the places that they were getting indoctrinated with everything that was not of God. So to see teenagers or men and women in their early 20s pouring out their hearts to God and and God filling them and them having these experiences that they will never be able to forget and undo. That's what we love about uh, youth camp. As we send our students every year to youth camp, there's an experience. There's a time. Many of you remember your time at youth camp. It was unforgettable. But the most important thing we take away is the value system for the word of God, because the enemy would love nothing more than for us to just get stuck in methodology doing it just the right way and sounding just right and bringing in this person. and we've, we've got to learn how to have a proper value system for the word of God. In Mark chapter six, in verse one, speaking of Jesus, it says he left there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Now he's in his hometown, right? He's back home. What's at home? Family, friends, relatives, colleagues, peers, associates. I tell you right now, home is the hardest place to minister. There is no assignment more difficult than ministering at home. None. I thank God for traveling ministries and traveling ministers. And sometimes, you know, I I envy them a little bit. You know, we bring them in here and they come in here and they say the same thing I'm saying. And you guys are on the edges of your seat, taking notes like crazy. Man, that was just so powerful. Pastor Mars, I've been telling you this for three years. But you just need a different voice, right? This happens with us as parents. A teacher or a coach or a pastor or, or you know, someone, another authority figure uh, in our child's life, uh, you know, shows up. And, and they're reinforcing things that we're teaching and that we're, uh, you know, uh, promoting in our families and with our children. And then they'll follow them hook, line, and sinker. It's like, I've been teaching you that since you were three. Right? But there's nothing like coming home to minister. Because there's blockades there. There are obstructions. There are things that have to be broken through. And it says he left there. He came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said. What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles? So, apparently, there was some kind of sign, whether it was just word of what he had been doing in his ministry abroad, because we get to the end of this and we know that he could do no mighty work there eventually. But notice they're astonished at his words, they're amazed. But you know, there's a good amazement and there's a bad amazement. Right? I'm amazed at how awesome you're doing. Or it could be, I'm amazed that you can't get this right by now. You're amazed either way. It's still amazing. <laughs> it is, this is remarkable. It's you don't have a clue yet, Right? Or well, this is remarkable. You, have, you, you get this. This is incredible. Right? We could throw whatever word on it. They were astonished. Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom? So they recognize it as wisdom. They recognize the, the, the context of it is wisdom. This is, this is divine words that you are ministering right now. This is powerful what's being demonstrated through your words and through your hands. But then look at verse three. Isn't this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And aren't his sisters here with us? And look at the next phrase. So they were offended by him. It's just one of the most confusing passages in the Bible. Notice that they were astonished by a word, yet not changed by the word. In fact, the word had the counter effect on them. It actually hindered them from receiving from his ministry. The word that he was delivering was so astonishing and the word that he was preaching was so powerful and the the, the miracles that, that was being demonstrated and being told of about his ministry was, was so great. And they could not reconcile the man that was doing the miracles and preaching the word with the word that was coming out of his mouth. And what do we have here? We have uh, uh, a very... um. Uh, acute case of familiarity because they you see what they did they immediately brought him down to their level they immediately brought him down to he's just like us we've known him all our lives we know his family they live down the road he built our bed he put together our table that we eat at every day he's a carpenter right? He's just doing common work. And that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to miss out on the great things that God has for you because it's done in common and normal. It's done by common and normal people. I heard one minister say that, that he is careful how close he gets to ministers that he reveres and he honors because I don't want to get so close that I see them as just common, normal, like me. They put their pants on every morning like I put my pants on. At the end of the day, there's humanity involved. At the end of the day, it's the package, if we're not careful, that can limit what God wants to do through the package. It could be the very people that we write off as incapable or beyond the use of of God's hand and God's word. That are the very people that God wants to use in our lives to minister to us, to show us the great things. It says that Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. They were astonished at his words, and he's amazed at their unbelief, and what does he do? It says he goes around the villages teaching. Familiarity is the opposite of value. Familiarity is the opposite of value. Familiarity is the opposite of honor. And when we allow this to creep in, even with the word of God, or the vessel that God uses to deliver the word of God. You know, we got to be careful with these things uh, because many times the first place that God will move us to, or I'm sorry, the first place that the enemy will move us to when we begin to become familiar and we be, we begin to lose the honor and lose the value. One of the first things that the enemy will start doing is he'll start criticizing. You'll find little things to critique little things that are out of alignment, little things that you don't like little things, And you start to really hone in on those things and highlight those things. It could be a person, it could be a place, it could be, uh, you know the the format it could be the method, it could be anything, and the enemy starts working on our hearts this way by highlighting where we don't align or where we disagree or where we, where we don't have uh you know that the, the the sameness and before you know it, we begin to lower we become familiar, we begin to lower it down to. I know their family. He's just a carpenter. What's so special about him? What's so special about that place? What's so special about that word? Sometimes we'll do that about the word of God itself. And something that we were once excited about, we now are just poking holes in it and finding everything that's wrong with it. And know that you're well on your way to familiarity. You're well on your way to losing the honor, the sacredness, the value system for the word of God. You will never value what you see as normal. We'll never value what we simply see as normal, common. Guys, we can can do this. You know, this is the danger of discipline. I've talked about it before. Discipline's important. The Bible tells us to be disciplined. Disciplined in our study, disciplined in our practice, disciplined in holiness, disciplined in our living. But the danger of discipline is it can become common. It can become routine. It can become regular. Even something that was great. Manna, the first day was an incredible miracle. How is their food covering the ground every single morning? But it got to a point they became sick of it. The one thing that they believed God for in one season was the thing that they complained about in the next season. Miracles have their place. Miracles, signs, and wonders. But I'm telling you right now, miracles are not what turn people's hearts and change people's lives. They do not. If that were the case, then we could have ended the book when Jesus was on this planet. There were more miracles. There were so many miracles done, they they couldn't even write them all. John said if if the sky was paper and the ocean was ink, we still would run out of the capacity to record all that Jesus did in his ministry in three and a half years of ministry. They had an abundance of miracles, signs, and wonders. The Israelites saw water out of a rock, saw water parted, and they walked across on dry ground. They saw their enemies drowned in the sea behind them. They they, they saw some amazing, incredible things that you and I just wish we could have a, a taste of, but grumbled and complained their way to wandering in a wilderness and dying there, never entering the promise of God. The water out of the rock, The birds bringing dinner, manna on the ground should have given them a faith and a belief system that said, that he is God. This is his word. He is watching over us. We've got a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, and it's leading us. And when they walk into that promised land, it should have been every ounce of confirmation they needed. This is our land. I don't care if there's giants. I don't care if there's walls. I don't care if it's fortified. I don't care how big it is. I don't care if it's too big for us. We'll figure it out. This must be God's promise. It should have confirmed within them. But because the miracles became commonplace, became normal activity, became just common routine. Sunday can be routine. Wednesday night can be routine. A prayer meeting can be routine. Communion can be routine. Baptizing people in water and seeing them come out of darkness into life can become routine. Our marriages can become routine. Parenting can become routine. We can build these unholy routines in our lives. Not that the routine is wrong, but our perception and our perspective and the honor and the value that we place on it has lost the fervor. In Romans chapter I'm sorry Revelation chapter 2, Jesus writes seven letters to churches. It's in chapter two, I'm not going there, but in one of the churches, he lets them know, there's just this, this one thing I've got against you. I, I, you feel pretty good, just got one thing. Some of these other churches, they were pretty messed up. You are about to get your candle removed. I think Jesus is working on a letter to the United States of America, right? I was like, y'all better shape up. He says, I got this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost that original passion, that original desire you had, the honor and the value that you once placed on my word, on my church, on my people. Now you have just deemed it as common. And now we grumble and complain about the thing that we were so excited about. Remember the first day you came into the kingdom. Remember the first day you heard the word of truth. Remember the first day that you, you built that relationship. Whatever it is, we cannot allow the enemy to slowly put out the flame and drive out the passion that we had for something that when we first came to it. It's one thing I love about going back to Oklahoma. I go back multiple times, multiple times, walking on that campus, going through those doors, just even landing at the airport. Just something comes over you, man. This is, this is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing beside God, of course, and the calling and the assignment. If it weren't for this ministry, where would I be? If it weren't for this, the, the, what they instilled in my life and the upbringing I had and the legacy that they've laid, it's, it's, this was my 20th year going back. 20 years. And that's just since I graduated from there. I've followed that ministry since I was seven years old. I remember going to the camp meetings as a little kid. I'm, I remember hearing the minister read those books, watching the tapes, listening to the cassettes, whatever. God's reminders need to have just as much value in our life as the initial revelation. God's reminders need to have the same place of honor in our lives as it did when we initially heard the revelation. I remember when when I heard certain subjects ministered, the value that I placed on that word. I remember staying up all night just highlighting and going over notes that I couldn't even write fast. I couldn't even read my handwriting. I took notes so fast. I remember those services. I remember when the kingdom of the, the message of the kingdom was brought to Anchor Faith Church for the first time in 2009, June of 2009. I remember that. And I remember I was grabbing every book and I was reading every note and I was listening to every message over and over and over again. If we're not careful, it'll just become common. It's just another message. That's what the enemy wants to do, is he wants to make common what is holy and sacred. It's amazing that we can be astonished by a word and still not changed. Now, here's the thing eventually it says, and he could do no mighty work there except heal a few. Sick people. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, If we don't steward the word, we will squander the sign. If we don't steward the word, we will squander the sign. You know, it got to a point in Jesus' ministry where all they wanted was a sign. It got to a point in Jesus' ministry where he said, All you people want is another sign. And again, if the sign and the miracle and the wonder was the thing that was going to get them over, then he should have just been handing them out like candy. Bring me another sick person. Bring me another demon-possessed person. Bring me some more bread to multiply. Uh, Where's the lake I can go walk on top of? Give me another storm to cause the peace. Eventually he said, you'll receive no sign." Because if you don't value the right thing, he's not going to continue to give you more to squander. He's not going to cast pearl before swine. That whole verse, that whole statement that he makes is all about honor. If you're not going to honor, I'm not going to give it to you. We just got done talking about the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter three. I cannot speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I'm not gonna allow you to trample on greater revelation because you haven't even grasped the value of the revelation you have right now. I don't see an honor system. Right, we don't do this with our kids, hopefully not. They trash something that we've, poured into that we've invested in, and then what do you do? You turn around and buy something even more expensive? No. i let them know. That thing, I saw the way you took care of that. You surely ain't getting, right? What? You gotta show me that you can handle it, handle the responsibility that comes with it, that you can value it, and that you can honor it. And before you know it, guys, we're going to find ourselves shut off from the move of God altogether if we don't value what he's doing right now. Because he told them, he said, you'll receive no sign. If faith opens the door for the miraculous, familiarity closes it. Honor will open doors and familiarity will close it. Honor will open the windows of heaven over your life. Watch what honor will do. Honor says more about you than it does the person that you say is honorable or dishonorable. Honor speaks about you. How you value it reveals your heart, not the thing, not the item, not the move, not the word, not the person. It says more about you. Can you demonstrate honor when it begins to look common? Can you keep a sacred place in your heart when you've gotten it in abundance? It's easy to honor something when it's very few and far between, right? But the more and more you get of it, the more common it becomes, the more familiar. That was the problem. They had so many miracles happening, so many words of wisdom just coming out, just a hyperabundance. You know what the word says in the last days? It says that we're going to have uh, heaps. Of, we're going to heap up for ourselves teachers, You know what we have today? We have an overabundance of teaching, access to information, access to videos, access to seminars, access to conferences. I love what I heard um, about the revival that's taking place there in Asbury that I think it was Fox News had called them up and said, hey, we want to come out, we want to film. And they said, no, this is not for public consumption. You will actually thwart what God is trying to do here. This is for us. This is for here. But that's what we want to do. We want to spectate. We want to watch. We feel like we're a part of from a distance. That's the the world we live in today. And we just consume and consume. And God's saying, I need contributors. I need buy-in. I need people that are invested with an honor system. Placing value for what's taking place. Not just showing up from someplace far away, just landing and saying, all right, let's get in here, what's happening? They've even turned away music artists that have invited themselves to show up. Because if you're not gonna honor it, then we don't want you to be a part of it. When something becomes so accessible, so easily accessible, it, you're, you're one step away from just being treated as common. When you have too much of something, we've got to know how to steward the divine, amen? Let's go here to Joshua, I'm sorry, John chapter six. John chapter six. Hallelujah. I don't ever want to treat as common things of God. And I know we don't want to, but I think that that's just the natural digression of things. Over time, things just become common. It's just another, I hate that word, just. Just a carpenter. I'm just a single mom. I'm just a teacher. I'm barely experienced, I'm just this, and we're just a small church, and this is just a small town. You know, eventually, we we, we find out that that was how the people from Jesus' hometown saw themselves. There's another statement where they make about Nazareth, nothing good comes from Nazareth. It was a poor reflection on themselves internally that they were now applying to Jesus because he came from Nazareth. There's no way a miracle worker can come from Nazareth. There's no way someone can minister these kinds of words and have this kind of wisdom. He's just one of us. We're just common folk. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. We're just normal people. And you'll never value what you treat as normal. We'll never uphold and honor John chapter six, verse 60. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Do We think that, you know, Jesus had, you know, just this accepting message, just, you know, so open and, hey, I just, I love you and, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. This is the Jesus we've created today. We have recreated a Jesus that doesn't look anything like what the gospels show us. No, he ministered at times and it was hard. This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. Disciples Disciples that didn't have to follow him. There must have been something compelling about his ministry that said, "We've got to come be a part of that." There was a rich young ruler, right? There was a guy that wanted to go and bury his his dead father first, and there was, uh, uh, you know, all these people coming to Jesus. How do we be a part? How do we can be a part? How can we be a part? They saw something worth honoring. They saw something worth valuing. They saw at some point somewhere in their lives when when this was initially brought in, there was some level of excitement. Maybe it was the hype. Maybe it was, man, everybody's flocking to him. You know, it's easy to follow somebody that everybody else follows. But what happens when Jesus starts turning people away? What happens when people start leaving? What happens when there's a disconnection that starts showing itself? It might reveal that there were a lot of people that were just following, but not really following. And now his own disciples are complaining. It says grumbling. Ask them. Jesus asked them, does this offend you? What was the issue in Mark chapter six? They were offended. The word of God will offend those who don't receive it. God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. God will offend your mind, challenge, confront to reveal where's your heart at. Yeah, he will. He says, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the son of man ascending to where he was before? The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, the what? The words, everyone say it again. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe for Jesus knew from the beginning, those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Hmm. Interesting. So Jesus said to the twelve, please don't go. You're all I've got. I didn't mean to offend you. I'll soften my approach. I'm sorry. I'll have a little more tact. No. He looks at the twelve. You don't want to go away too. Do you? Look what Peter says. Lord, to whom will we go? Look at his next statement. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He doesn't mention the, you saved my life when we were out on that boat and you calmed the storm. I walked on water, so that's how I know you are the Holy One of God. Because he could have said that. He literally did that. Now, I've seen you multiply bread and feed 20,000 people on the side of a mountain. You must be of God. I've seen demons cast out. I've seen ears open and eyes open and the the lame walk. I've seen the dead raised. Your friend Lazarus, Who's dead four days? You must be. No, that's not what he says, guys. See, if, if it takes seeing something for you to believe, it'll take something you see to cause you to not believe. If you thought the grapes from the promised land were going to convince people this is the promised land, well, then what about the giants? No, you've got to have a word. You've got to honor a word. You've got to know this is the uncompromised word. This word is my solid word foundation. This word is what I'm building on. I'm not building on the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not building on the walking on water. I'm not building on the demons cast out and the eyes open and the ears open. I'm not building on the dead being I'm being, I am building my foundation. Everything that I believe about you comes from this. Your words are true and they are life. I don't even think Peter even knew what he was saying when he made that statement. In fact, I know he didn't. But he just knew there's something about the word that you minister. I can't go anywhere. I'm built on the word. You find out how many of these disciples were just following Hype. You find out how many of these disciples were just sticking around as long as everything was going their way. You find out how many of these disciples were with him as long as he was preaching the things that are widely accepted by the great company of people that would follow him, the multitudes. But now he starts getting challenging. The very first thing they said was, this is a hard statement. Who can accept it? In the Amplified, it reads this way, verse 60. When his disciples heard this, many of them said, this is a hard and difficult and strange saying, an offensive and unbearable message. This is Jesus' ministry. (laughs) Who can stand to hear it? Who can be expected to listen to such teaching? And we think that if Jesus came back to the earth today and started ministering, that we would all flock and follow him. Yet you'd be very surprised. (laughs) Jesus would break out of every single box we have built over the last 2,000 years since he departed this planet. Bring me your box. He'd smash it right in front of us. He sure would. He'd break the angry Jesus box. He'd break the soft, passive Jesus box that pets sheep and says, bring your little children to me. He'd break all of our boxes, guys. I heard someone say one time that if Jesus came to our churches today, he wouldn't know what to do. (laughs) Come on. No, this is what they're saying about Jesus' astonishing, powerful, mighty words of wisdom. Who has such wisdom? Where did he get such words of power? Who can be expected to listen to such teaching? But Jesus, knowing within himself that his disciples were complaining and protesting and grumbling about it, said to them, is this a stumbling block and an offense to you? Does this upset and displease and shock and scandalize you? Golly, this is so eye-opening. What then will be your reaction if you should see the Son of Man ascending to the place where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. He is the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit, whatever. There is no profit in it. The words, truths that I have been speaking to you are spirit and life. But still, some of you fail to believe and trust and have faith. For Jesus knew from the first who did not believe and had no faith and who would betray him and be false to him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him, unless he is enabled to do so by the father. After this, many of his disciples drew back, returned to their old associations. Return back to what? What's common, what's familiar. What's regular, normal, routine? Return back to what they knew. You know, Peter did that. After he denied Jesus three times, Jesus goes to the cross, dies. He recognizes when that rooster crows. I literally just did the very thing I told Jesus I would not do. What did he go back and do? Fish. We go back to what we know. We go back to what's common. We go back to what's familiar. Jesus said to the 12, will you also go away? And do you too desire to leave me? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words, the message of eternal life and we have learned to believe and trust and more we have come to know surely that you are the holy one of god the christ the anointed one the son of the living god this is the same peter that in matthew chapter 16 spoke out and said you are the messiah the son of the living christ the son of the living god you are the christ the anointed one and he did that by revelation of the father he did that by The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven through the Holy Spirit has revealed who I am, my identity. You have tapped into words of power. You have built and you are continuing. And that's what he says. He says, from now on, you will be Peter, a solid rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. The church is not built on moves. The church is not built on dispensations. The church is not built on different ways it emphasizes its ministries. The church is built on the word of God. And when we abandon or neglect or devalue or even disassociate the word from what God is doing in a present time, we have just fallen prey to a tactic of the enemy to get us to produce in our own ability what God wanted to produce by his spirit. And so it all goes back to this stewardship. It all goes back to this honor. It all goes back to this value. Let's not come as far as we have come. In the last three years now, we've seen so many things change. We saw disruptions. We saw values start to get aligned. Many of you even came to Anchor Faith Church during that period where values were heightened. Why? Because when when there's lack, when there's attack, when there's struggle, when there's challenge, it, it becomes very evident what is valuable to you and what you rely on. You don't know what you value until it's attacked, challenged, or even taken away. Three years ago, many people started a search, started a journey. And sure, maybe like some of these disciples, some started that journey out of, I just heard there's something going on. And maybe others said, I've got to change things. The way I was doing it before, it wasn't working. I wasn't yielding the results I needed. I wasn't, I, I wasn't finding the answers I was looking for. I was just going through the motions. I was treating things as common and familiar. I need to disrupt some things. And I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about in life, what we value, what we honor, what we steward. But now, now as time goes on, now as normalcy begins to set back in, right? That's what we were calling for for so long. Will things ever go back to normal? Can I sit wherever I want? Can I go in this place without wondering am I gonna have to wear a mask or not? Can I do this activity or do I need to stay a certain distance away? We were just waiting for normalcy to just show back up again. But now that normal is creeping back in. Humanity's doing what it's always done from the beginning of time. We just settle in in common. And what we once treated as, man, I can't believe this exists. I can't believe God wants to speak this way. I can't believe that there is this word that I've never seen. Over time, it just, oh yeah, I've heard that. That's why faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. If you actually translate that word hearing in Romans chapter 10, it's faith comes by hearing and by hearing and by hearing and by hearing. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's that mean? It's not what I said, it's what you heard. It's not what you heard, it's how you heard it. And there was a day when we were on the edge of our seat, couldn't get it fast enough, and now there's days when we've slumped back in our chairs. We've got to resist the spirit of normal, Normalcy. Because the enemy wants, he, he, he wants this to just become as common and regular. One the power. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.